American soccer fans, welcome to episode 85 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. We have a big round of 16 matchup tomorrow morning as we record on Friday, December 2nd, 2022. The United States men's national team are preparing to take on the Netherlands in the knockout stage of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. That game will be tomorrow, Saturday, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 7 a.m. on the West Coast. So for you guys on the West Coast, set that early alarm, get up, get to your bar, get to your TV set, wherever you need to go. Let's make it happen for the U.S. men's national team. We're going to preview that game and, and what we could see tomorrow and, and guys that, you know, from the U.S. standpoint, what we need to do to win. But we first should take a look at the full bracket because as we record, it's just after the final slate of group stage matches have been completed. We now have a full knockout stage brackets. I will briefly go through that bracket for you. On one side of the bracket, the Netherlands versus the United States, Argentina versus Australia, Japan versus Croatia, and Brazil versus South Korea. And then the other side of the bracket, we have England versus Senegal, France versus Poland, Morocco versus Spain, and Portugal versus Switzerland. From the United States perspective, obviously there's a lot that we can look at on this side, on their side of the bracket. You have Argentina, you have Japan, who have uh, been very, very good in the group stage. You have Brazil, obviously, who uh, are still probably the prohibitive favorites to win this World Cup. And you have upstart South Korea as well. And for the United States, obviously the path to the World Cup final will be a difficult one. And it starts with the game tomorrow against the Netherlands. So forget the rest of the bracket. Let's talk about the game that we have in front of us against the Dutch. First things first, there are a couple of injury notes that we have here. One, Christian Pulisic has been cleared to play tomorrow. So we should expect to see him in the starting lineup. He is ready to play. U.S. soccer's doctors have cleared him from that pelvic contusion. He is ready to go against the Dutch one guy that we may see tomorrow, but it seems more and more unlikely at this point is Josh Sargent. He is still listed as day-to-day with ankle soreness. He kind of picked up a knock on his ankle right as he uh, right at the end of that game against Iran on Tuesday. It's unclear whether or not he will play. Obviously, he has not been a lock to start. So if Sargent doesn't go, expect probably to see Haji Wright get the start against the Netherlands. But uh, we will look to see if Josh Sargent can be a gamer and if his ankle is, is good enough to go tomorrow. There's also a couple of guys that we will probably see tomorrow at some point, at least we hope in one case, and that case is Gio Reyna. Brendan Aronson, we will obviously see at some point during the game. He may not start, but he obviously has been the super sub to provide a lot of creativity off the bench. But if Gio Reyna can get in in this game, I feel like this game matches up well for him. And I think the rest of you agree that we haven't seen a lot of Gio Reyna and we want to see much more of him in this because he's one of the guys that got us here to this point. And we know that there's been concerns about his injury, you know, proneness, whether he is injured, whether it's been tactical or due to some injury that he's not being played. He's only received a few minutes against England. He did not appear against Wales or against Iran, but maybe it was to save him for this moment to bring him on against the Netherlands to provide again, that spark for the team. There's a couple of things that I think we should be looking out for tomorrow from our U.S. men's national team as they take on the Dutch. The first thing is for them to be defensively sound. The Dutch have some special players, especially up front. 
And they like to get the ball in open space because they can punish you from those open spaces. And, you know, one of the guys, one of the stars of this tournament, one of the breakout stars of this tournament has been Cody Gakbo. Memphis Depay has also been great up front. And Frankie DeYoung, who uh, may be playing tomorrow, it's unclear because the Netherlands apparently are going through uh, a bit of a flu crisis on their team where several guys have the flu. If that's the case, then we need to exploit their conditioning because the flu is obviously going to take a lot of wind out of their sails. Being defensively sound, though, is, is key because you have to keep the ball in front of you. You have to make sure that those guys are not going to get behind you and, again, have uh, those opportunities to create some damage. So let's see if our back line can continue to hold. Matt Turner has been solid in goal. Again, the only goal that he's given up so far has been that PK in the first match to Gareth Bale. Also for the United States, I think they need to be the creators. They need to go out and be aggressive and trying to push forward on offense. They need to be the team that creates the opportunities more so than the orange and working the ball into our open spaces, getting the ball to our creative guys is going to be essential. And we have a lot of guys that can create off of the dribble. We need to also have guys working into spaces so that they can get shots on goal and be in for real, take shots on goal. We haven't done that quite well. We seem to get a little unselfish when we get towards the box. And I think all of us want to see our guys become a little bit more selfish and take shots when they're available because you can't score if you don't take shots. We can't expect the Dutch to pass the ball into their own net. So we have to go out and put the ball in the net for them. So that is how we have to approach it. Get after them, get into creative spaces where you can be creative, put shots on goal and test this keeper and see what happens. And then finally, Greg Berhalter needs to utilize the bench and he needs to do it earlier. We've seen guys come off the bench and he's utilized his subs, but it's come much later in the ball game. Guys like Brendan Harrison, Gio Rena, they need to get time in this match to work their way into the fold. And that means bringing them on sooner, whether it's in the 55th minute or 60th minute. But we can't be waiting till the 85th minute to start making subs. We got to have guys ready to go, keep everyone fresh. Again, if the Dutch really are battling a flu pit or, you know, a flu outbreak on their team, a lot of the guys are going to be gassed early. And that means that we need to keep the pressure on them to make sure that they're tired. And that is going to be coming from our subs that can come on and provide the energy that we need. So the last thing I will say about the Netherlands and, and just about this game is we're in the knockout stage. And as I've told people quite a bit, that's called playing with house money. We are in the portion of the tournament where anything can happen. We don't have to be great on Monday. We just have to be great tomorrow on Saturday against the Dutch. We can worry about everything else that happens after that. But tomorrow is the chance for this team to do something quite special, which is make it to the quarterfinals for the first time since 2002. We have the guys to do it. They have the confidence. And it seems like, you know, our, our most important guys, for the most part, are ready to go. They just have to go out and execute. And they just have to go out and be in that moment and embrace that moment, embrace that fearlessness that has gotten them this far and keep it going against the, against the Dutch. Because I think they can beat the Dutch. I think the Dutch have not played super well this tournament. And I think they are a team that can be beaten. And if these guys believe it and they play that spot and have that magic tomorrow on the field, we could see our team in the quarterfinals. But we will see what happens, obviously, with the game again, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern time, 7 a.m. on the West Coast, USA versus the Netherlands. It will be on Big Fox. So make sure you tune in.
We're going to pause here for a quick break. When we get back, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it was like to be in Doha. I was at the World Cup for about a week, and I will talk about the good, the bad, and some of the ugly. Uh, Stick around. We are back and let's talk about the World Cup. And by the World Cup, I mean actually being there. There's a lot of you out there who have been going to games in Doha, and I've probably seen quite a few of you in the stands. I also was in Doha for at least the first few days of this World Cup. I attended uh, from the start of the tournament through the 25th, which was the England-USA game. And so I would just want to talk about what it was like to be at this particular World Cup, because a lot of people... I've had questions and just really just, yeah, obviously they've only seen so much out there about what is going on, whether it be good, whether it be bad or whether it be ugly. So I'm just going to talk about my experience. And I, I say that to say that, you know, my experience was different than even people who I was with on this, on this trip. But at the same time, I did want to point out some things that were good. And I did want to point out some things that were, you know, kind of bad and, and things that should have uh, been better, at least from the fan per- experience perspective at this World Cup. Let's start with the good. The great thing was that there was a lot of matches to attend. And if you are a soccer fan or a soccer fanatic, you could go to as many games as you wanted, essentially. And so for me, I was in country for seven days and I got to see seven matches in five stadiums featuring 13 teams. I went to these games, obviously the USA Wales game, uh, which was at Ahmad Ben Ali Stadium. France versus Australia, which is at Al Janoub Stadium. Germany versus Japan, that upset win for Japan. That was at Khalifa International Stadium. Belgium versus Canada, the great game uh, at Ahmad Ben Ali Stadium. Switzerland, Cameroon, which was back at Al Janoub. Uruguay versus Korea, which was at Education City Stadium. And then finally, the England-USA game, which is at Al Bait Stadium, all the way up at Alcor. I will say going to those games was really great because the the atmospheres there were pretty special. And again, there were some fan bases that I thought stood out, namely the, the Japanese and the Koreans. They brought it every single game. They had several chants. A lot of these you know countries, uh, their fan bases really only have two or three chants. And a lot of people talk about our chants and how stale they are and how we need new chants. But when you get to this World Cup, there's a lot of sitting around. There's a lot of people not doing much. And even Canada had like two or three chants, one of them being shouting the name Canada. So it, it's it's something where experience a World Cup, you kind of get a, a a taste for what other fans bring to the table. Their atmospheres may be different. They may have drums. They may have instruments. Or they may just sit there and just provide sound. And whatever that is, it's not always throughout the entire game. It's at moments where they need their team to push forward. When you're at a World Cup, though, everyone who is involved in that game, if your team is on the field, Everyone just has this sense of nervousness and just anxiety. So it's a lot of a lot of times people don't want to chant because they're so fixated on hoping that something good happens for their team in the game. And because of that, that's where you kind of hear these dull moments where there's not a lot of atmosphere. It's because people are focused on the game and they're really just nervous uh, as, as a fan base of what is about to happen next. And that is okay. I mean, at the World Cup, obviously people are going and they want to support their team. But sometimes they just need to take a break and watch the game for a second to see how things play out. But I will say there were, like I said, shout out to the Korean fan base, 
Shout out to the Japanese fan base. They brought it and they had, it was a great time listening to them. Cameroon also their section was great. We, they were on the far side from where I was sitting. You could hear them drumming and playing instruments and clapping and cheering all game long. So shout out to them as well. Some other good things. Everyone is super nice. I mean, all the fans from all around the world were coming to this tournament. Everyone was having a great time. I stayed on one of the cruise ships, uh, which was great because uh, everyone was talking about uh, the lack of alcohol in Qatar. There was plenty on the boat, um, and a lot of it actually was free for meals. So uh, we took great advantage of that when we were on the boat. But there's something to be said about the night before the Wales game. American fans and Welsh fans are partying together. The night before the England game, Americans and English are partying together. That camaraderie, that spirit, is it's not ugly at the World Cup. And that's what was great about it. Going to stadiums, sitting next to fans from all around the world who are all picking teams to kind of have a rooting interest for in the game that they're about to watch, if it's not their team, celebrating with fans from all over the world, congratulating fans, taking pictures. That's all part of the vibe of the World Cup. And I thought that was ever-present at this particular World Cup, especially given that every fan base was in one city. That is the most unique part. Most times you have fans in all parts of the country that are spread way out, so you don't get to see all of the fan bases. This time around, you were able to see as many fan bases as you wanted to, and I know a lot of uh, my friends went to dozens of games, and they are still there going to games, but they got to experience you know, meeting everyone who was there for the World Cup, and I thought that was a very beautiful thing about this particular World Cup because it's not something you get to experience in a lot of World Cups. And then finally, I think the cool thing was that, you know, when you go to a stadium and you have no rooting interest, you could get a flag from whatever countries were playing. So, for example, uh, if you went to, if when I went to France, Australia, um, they had flags for France and they had flags for Australia. And you could pick one or you could pick both and you could wave them high. If one team scored, you can wave your French flag. If you the Aussies scored, you could wave your Aussie flag or you could pick one team to root for. Obviously, if you are in that game, you know, the USA game, I didn't get a Wales flag or an English flag, but they also had American flags available and it made it where, again, that vibe was cool. Flags are everywhere. Flags being waved. You looked around the stadium, especially at the U.S. games, and you could see scores of people waving American flags and not all of them are American. Some people were just there rooting for the U.S. men's national team. And I thought that was pretty cool, something that hopefully will be duplicated at future ones. I know they didn't have these in 2014. I'm not sure if they had this in 2018, but I'd love to see this both on the men's and women's side for World Cups, having flags that they give out so that people can feel a part of the atmosphere and help build the atmosphere at all these games. So that was a bit of the good. Let's get into some of the bad. And I think the main bad thing was that there was just inconsistency everywhere with security. If you had a bag that was full of stuff from the FIFA store, it would be let into one match. But then if you went to the next match, they would say you can't bring it in. And even though it was being sold inside, there were times where cups weren't allowed in. There was times where uh, bags of merchandise like scars and uh, they had these uh, mascot hats um, that weren't allowed in. It's very inconsistent with who you went to. And honestly, if you went to one guy and they said no, and you went to the next guy, they would probably say yes and let whatever was in. A lot of things, obviously, you've read about with things that were contradictory to what they said they were going to do, namely the allowance of pride armbands and pride flags into the building. Um, I obviously had an experience where I was detained due to my pride armband. 
I was detained for about 15, 20 minutes. The guy did put hands on me, uh, but not like they did my friend Brian Davis, who uh, was the guy that was basically pushed out of the England game before it started. He did eventually get back in. I want to say thank you, at least for me, to the FIFA Human Rights Director who intervened personally to make sure that I was let in. And I know he did the same for my friend Brian. U.S. Soccer also helped getting that FIFA person to me to make sure that I was taken care of and got in. But my experience, obviously, was different from a lot of people. Some people had no issues getting uh, you know, stuff inside that were allowed. Um, I mean, even power banks where you could, where you could charge your phones, they were allowed in, but some security people would not let you bring in your charger. And that's something that just needs to, uh, that was really a big, big problem. It led to a lot of frustration from a lot of people because you never knew what to expect when you went through a security checkpoint at any match. One match would be fine. The next match, there'd be a myriad of problems. Ticketing was a big problem. There's a lot of times where tickets didn't come up. So people had to go get paper tickets. Then they wouldn't print the paper tickets. So there was a lot of these little inconsistencies that led to big frustrations at choke points. I call them choke points because that's where a lot of people gather to try and enter the stadium or enter the perimeter of the stadium. So that was something that obviously a lot of people were uh, were frustrated about and I, I experienced a lot of that firsthand. And then finally, I think another one was just you had to walk everywhere. You had to walk long distances. Nobody knew where they were going. Um, and the people that were there for security, it felt like they just got into country a couple days before. So if you tried to ask them a specific question, they wouldn't have an answer for you because they honestly wouldn't know. If you needed a taxi to get somewhere or an Uber to get somewhere, you had to enter your address into their phone because they had no idea how to get there uh, because they didn't know how to get around town. There's a lot of street closures, so they didn't know how to navigate those. For me, staying at the port, there was a lot of there was an entryway that you had to go through. A lot of people didn't know how to navigate that process. And if there was a match, just the the amount of traffic around all of these stadiums made it where there was a lot of people bogged down in places that it could have been a lot easier to get around. The Uber and taxi and the bus transfers were long lines, super long walks. And I'm talking walks of more than a mile and a half to two miles in some cases. You had to walk a long time to get where you need to go to even call a taxi or call or, or call an Uber or call a Kareem, which is their version of Uber, to get to where you need to go. So that allowed or that made for a lot of extended wait times and a lot of travel times being extended 20, 30, even an hour, uh, 20 or 30 minutes to even an hour longer than it should have been. And I think that, again, leads to more frustration because a lot of people missed the start of games because of it. A lot of people who were going between matches didn't make it. They had to, you know, time leaving early uh, in the second half so they, they can make the next game. So those were a lot of frustrations. And, and I think people were uh, overall just kind of done with the process of getting into stadiums and walking just about everywhere to get into the fan fest or walking into a stadium. It made it where a lot of people just ended up not going to some of these games because they just didn't want to deal with some of these stadiums uh, and their security. So, uh, but again, those are little things that when you look at it overall, I had a great time, you know, the people that I was with, you know, shout out to all of them. They know who they are. Um, They, you know, I really enjoyed that time there. Um, would I go back? Absolutely not. Um, I, I will go back for a final if we're in it, but 
Um, a lot of people asking if you know if they're going over to the quarterfinal, expect everything to be long waits, l- lengthy times getting to where you need to go, lots of walking, and really just making sure that they are with people that can help stand behind them if something were to happen. And you know, shout out to the people who watched watched my back when I was getting detained. Shout out to my friends who watched out for my man Brian when he got detained. You need to have that. And if something's going to happen, you need to make sure that you have people with you that have your back. That's how you get around places. It's not, it's something we prepared for in the sense that we knew that there may have been, there may be an issue. And we kind of the back of our mind prepared for it. But in the heat of the moment, you knew who your friends were and they got you through it. And, and all in all, I don't know anyone who wasn't able to see a game because they were detained. That's the, the good part. But the bad part is they should never have been detained, myself included. So, that's a little bit from Doha. Um, obviously, the games are still going on. There's still people over there. And as more people come back, they're going to tell their stories on what they in- encountered. I know there were some issues with the fan villages. Uh, I won't get into that because I can't personally speak for that. I did not stay there. Um, but I know some people who did, and they said it was an outright disaster. So um, I'll let them speak to that when they have their moments. But for now, this World Cup, is what it is. And at the end of the day, right now we're focused on the U S men's national team. Again, they play tomorrow. We need to get a win because we want to see them in the quarterfinals. This could be a special moment for them. And I was excited to be in the stands to support them. And I was, ex- and I'm just going to be just excited tomorrow to sit on my couch and watch them from home. So hopefully wherever you are, whether you're in Doha, whether you're in Denver, it does not matter where you are get to a TV, get to the stadium, watch our men's national team play tomorrow against the Netherlands. Let's hope for victory. And for that, that will do it for episode 85 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Give them hell, USA. Let's go. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.